The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. How are you this morning? Um, also, if you would like to hear me, I have a new show. You can listen to me on WCDB. FM 90.90, Albany, New York, Thursdays, 9 to 10 a.m., and the new uh, show is called The Social Workers. Actually, I have my co-host is on. She and I are going to be talking this morning and uh, tell you all about it and tell you all about her. I just got back. Actually, I just got back from Chicago, so by the seat of my pants, actually. Flight was delayed a day because of the snow. Every time I go to Chicago, I can never get out of there. Last time I was there, the time before, I was stuck there for two days because of uh, lightning and thunder and all this kind of stuff anyway, but I was visiting my son. Um, but here I am. We have three great guests today. The first one is Candy Jenkins, who is the co-host on my show, The Social Workers. She's also the executive director of Liberty Partnerships, which she's going to talk about, uh, which is an organization, a social work organization in Albany, New York. Uh, the Second guest is Philip Stittelberg. He's chairman of the National Volunteer Fire Council, and wait till you hear what he has to say about volunteer firefighters. Um, whether you're trying to get a seat on a sold-out plane, or you're trying to get your four-year-old to brush his teeth or go to bed, or trying to get that partnership locked in for your business, Pulitzer Prize winner Stuart Diamond will be here to discuss his new book, Getting More. How to Negotiate to Achieve Your Goals in the Real World, The 12 Invisible Strategies that Change Everything You Thought You Knew About Negotiating. So we've got a real mix on the show today, but the first one I'm really excited about, my co-host, Candy Jenkins. How are you this morning? Well, how are you? Good. Okay, Candy, you and I have been doing a show now for three weeks at the State University at Albany School of Social Welfare called The Social Workers. That's correct. Yes, it is. So uh, uh, why don't you tell everybody what the show is about? Because I want to do a little bit of advertising about it, so it's like a real treat to have you uh, on the uh, Catherine Zock Show. Okay. Well, our show is about um, what we as social workers do in our everyday world, and that consists of basically helping other people in a variety of different areas. And so our show's topics have, you know, ranged from, you know, people who have substance abuse issues and helping them, um, the aging population, specifically sex. That was a fun show, wasn't it, Catherine? That was great. Um, <laughs> okay, let's talk about Stop There because everybody likes okay. sex. So you're right. Our show is called The Social Workers. We talk about social workers do everything for everybody. How about that? That's Correct. That is, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we do was, or is, uh, we deal with a lot of senior citizens and, of course, the aging population. I'm, being, I'm one of them. You're not, well, you're aging, but you're still young. 
uh, in your 30s. And uh, we have a lot of seniors in nursing homes and other kinds of assisted living facilities. And one of the issues that comes up is sex in the senior citizen. Mm-hmm. And social workers have to deal with that within these institutions, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're not set up for sex in the senior citizens, not set up to have couples like in assisted living facilities or actually in nursing homes. Sometimes couples go to nursing homes or in nursing homes together, right? That's correct, yes. And they're not allowed to be intimate with one another. It's a major problem. So who do we have? We had the executive director of one of the major, of a nursing home facility on the show. Yeah, she was um, very great. I mean, wonderful person and talked about how her specific nursing home was doing, working with um, couples and individuals to accommodate a healthy and happy sex life. <laughs> yeah, what did she say they did to accommodate? Uh, she said that they they would not disturb them. They allowed them to have um, you know time together in their room. Um, they put I think I think believe she said they put like a sign or something on the door. You know, kind of like in a hotel where it's you know a do not disturb type deal. But one of the things I remember that she said, and it's interesting because you know sex is everywhere. I mean, we're bombarded with it on television, on the internet, everywhere. And what happened? But we don't want to think about our parents or our grandparents having sex. Yuck, right? Uh, (laughs) uh, but but they do and sometimes sex just means touching and feeling and it doesn't necessarily mean intercourse it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people and and as one ages it changes but I I remember her saying that one of the things the older people when they put that do not disturb sign on the door in the nursing home because they want to have sex Mm -hmm. um, that they say it's but who comes in the nurses, the doctors, they're always getting disturbed. It's just like when your kids came in, when you were younger and you, you, know, you did, couldn't have privacy, but it's the same thing, but it, you know, in a different venue. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was one of our most popular shows, I think. I, I would agree with you. People are still talking about that show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, so we do, we're everywhere. Social workers are everywhere, I guess. That's what I would say. Um, right. And I, I think one of the things on our show that we're trying to dispel is that, um, you know, we're not just the social worker who's there to take away your kid for adoption because you're abusing your child or to help you to get uh, food stamps or Medicaid or, you know, kind of those very, we do that too, specific okay. kinds of things. But uh, um, I think the goals and the responsibilities of social workers have really expanded in the past few years. And, That's um, Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I find, uh, you know, I've been doing it longer than you have, mm-hmm. but uh, your program, for instance, the Liberty Partnership Program, talk to us about that because that's a new, innovative kind of social work program. You're an MSW student getting your MSW, um, probably going to end up getting your PhD. You'll be ahead of me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like that, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, but your program is special. It's different. Yeah. So, what what is it? Our program is a uh, dropout prevention program, and we service students in the city of Albany who are um, who risk, you know, leaving school before they graduate for a number of different reasons. Albany, so New York, York. We have to say right in Albany, New York. That's correct. And, and the majority of the students that we service um, attend Albany High School, which is a school that um, has been deemed, you know, a failing school. And so, you know, our kids come with a lot of um, 
of challenges, and our staff is there to help them navigate through not just the academic, you know, piece, but also through life challenges and the things that they're going to encounter, you know, as individuals. Because our goal at the end of the day is, yes, to help them complete high school and to go to college and complete college and, you know, all of that good stuff, but we also want to see them, you know, grow up to be healthy, productive, you know, individuals in, in our society. So how do you prove that it's working? I mean, we, we've we, talked a lot about, there's a lot of stuff in the news about evidence-based social work, meaning now you've got to prove that the work that you do really accomplishes what you say, because there isn't a lot of money around for social work programs. So how do you prove that these kids do, uh, they graduate, they get their degree, and they are citizens who are, you know, functioning well emotionally, socially, you know, within their families and, and jobs? Right. Well, our program has been at the University at Albany's campus since 1992. So we have been around for a long time. I have actually been the director for 10 years of the, the 20 years that we've been around. And we uh, know that 85% of our kids graduate. Um, and I can't tell you the percentage that stay in school and can, can complete school because our job ends, so to speak, you know, when they graduate from high school. But I can tell you that 85%, I mean, you're talking kids that normally, you know, 40% of them are graduating from high school. So for us to have an 85%, you know, rate of kids graduating from high school and going on to college is huge in the world of, um, you know, academic academics and the way that we are we prove that we work is that we have um we have an evaluation team at the University at Albany that works with us as well as our funders at state education department um and we are required to you know report uh the milestones and 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 the whether we've reached our goals and you know all of those different things and if we don't quite frankly Catherine we lose our funding so we have to <laughs> work the way that we say we have to do the things that we say we're going to do in order to continue to, you know, receive the funding that we receive. See, this is such an important thing, Candy, because particularly right now, I mean, I can't emphasize it enough, not just in New York State, but across the country, they're cutting funds at universities, at colleges, uh, and, 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 and for programs even in high schools. But we've got to get these kids out there and graduated, and they need not only their high school diploma, but they do need a college education as well. So you have a program that works. You keep these kids in school. You keep these kids in inner city school, in school, graduating, on to college, and you've been in business, and I say business, since 1992. You need to be a role model for the rest of the country. Have you, are you, or is, is that something that um, you've discussed? Because you've got a program that's been working for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, some years back, actually, our friends, you know, up north in Canada actually did a report, and, and Liberty Partnerships Program was listed as one of the most effective programs. And the reason for that is because we don't just focus on a certain, you know, percentage of students in a, in a group. We don't just focus on, you know, academics. We focus on all things that relate to that student, you know, their home environment, their, their um, school environment, their, you know, socially what's happening in the world. And so that was one of the things that was proven, and we were really proud, you know, that we are a leader in that area. And, you know, people know Liberty Partnerships, and I think it's one of the reasons that in spite of the, our horrendous and tumultuous, you know, budget situation here in New York State, we have always maintained and thankfully, you know, and stayed in the governor's budget. 
Um, and so I, I think that speaks volumes for, you know, how we're regarded in the world of academia. Yeah. We have a minute left. It's been great. I'm okay. so glad you got to be on the show today. Talk about our program and also about Liberty Partnerships as well, mm-hmm. as well, because Candy Jenkins is the co-host of The Social Workers, which you can listen to on WCDB uh, FM 90.90, Albany, New York. Uh, and Thursdays she also... at 9 a.m. That's Thursdays, Thursdays at 9 a.m. <laughs> Thanks, Candy. It's nice to know what day it is. Hey. (laughs) Okay. Thursdays, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, everybody. It's that's Eastern Time. And Candy's also, as you've heard, the Executive Director of Liberty Partnerships. Um, Great having you on the show this morning, and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Candy. Coming up next is Philip Stittleberg, Chairman of the National Volunteer Fire Council. And as I said, wait till you hear what he has to say about volunteer firefighters. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone. You are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio, and it's the Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Philip Stittleberg. He's chairman of the National Volunteer Fire to Council, uh, Council, short, or NVFC. And he's here to talk about some important ways your community, that means all of you out there in all the states, can help vo- local volunteer fire stations. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on. Thank Phillip. you for inviting me. Yeah, it's great to have you. You know, volunteer firefighters. Um, I'm a social worker. Social workers, not only do we have jobs, we don't get paid that much. It's almost like volunteering. But we do a lot of volunteer work. So I'm really curious. Volunteer firefighters. First of all, what, who volunteers as a firefighter? Now, I know that, uh, I, I didn't realize this, but the percentage of, volu- of firefighters in the United States, 
are on a volunteer basis. News to me, and probably news to most people, right? Yes, it's a probably uh, a very well-kept secret. Uh, there are over a million uh, men and women that protect their communities by serving as uh, firefighters, but of that number, as you say, about 73% or over 800,000 800, uh, serve their communities as volunteer firefighters. And um, an even more impressive number is that uh, of all the fire departments in the United States, uh, nearly 90% are either all or predominantly volunteer, and they protect about 40% of the population of our country. So they're real important. I mean, it's sort of something, I, people, uh, for, uh, at least in my um, sort of arena or the place, we don't talk about We just kind of assume the firefighters are out there and they're just doing their job. At least that's how I am. And then every once in a while I get a, you know, they need uh, uh, donations, which... Uh, in my community, I always volunteer. I mean, to give, I don't volunteer as a firefighter, but I give money. And then I forget about it. I just assume they're going to be here. And, well, and, and that's, uh, that's the nature of the job, I think. Uh, you know, it's the fire department that people call when they don't know who to call. If you have a problem and you don't know who can fix it, uh, people call the fire department. And they know that uh, not only will somebody always be there, but somebody's always going to respond. Yeah. And who are those people who respond? Who are the volunteer firefighters? Who would do that? Because... It's really dangerous. I mean, if you think, when I think about it, I mean, to volunteer, firefighters um, go out and do very dangerous kinds of jobs. Now, it's one thing if you're getting paid for it, maybe, but if you're volunteering, uh, who are the people who, is it, who are the people who do it? Well, you're right. It is a demanding and uh, sometimes very dangerous job. Uh, but the people who do it are, are your neighbors. They're the people in the community. Um, the, uh, uh, surveys that we've run show that uh, uh, cross-section of the uh, volunteer fire service looks a lot like a cross-section of the work uh, 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 working public in, in the country. We have uh, all professions, all occupations. It's a remarkable thing because it, it brings together people who really have no common interest other than the uh, wish to protect their uh, their neighbors. And I have an example It's the American melting pot in action. It is. It really is, Philip, because I have a story. When my kids were younger, we, a little fire started with a little campfire thing in the front yard. And I'm not going to go into that. But So I called the fire department, or somebody else saw it and called the fire department. I put the fire out. It was like a tiny little thing. This big truck came, and all of a sudden the fireman, the per- firefighter, one of them, he jumps off the truck. Well, he's a lawyer in town, and he's also an actor, and I had done a lot of acting with him, and I see him in his uniform and it was so funny because here now I see him as a fireman right jumps off the truck and gives me a big hug it was <laughs> very funny but um and fortunately everything was under control but yeah he was my local he was an attorney an actor a friend and uh, a firefighter as you say a local firefighter what about women can they do it or is it too strenuous i mean because there's a lot of physical there's a lot of physicality to the job isn't there it, it is a physically demanding job, but we have lots of uh, lots of women who perform very very successfully uh, in the fire service. Uh, and uh, as we uh, uh, face more recruiting challenges because of financial constraints and things like that, uh, I think that women will, will play a uh, continually increasing role in the in the fire service. All right. So, Philip, what does the fire department need from us in terms of volunteer, in terms of money? Tell us. Well, right now, something very interesting is going on. Uh, the National Volunteer Fire Council, the NVFC, has partnered with Duracell Corporation on a program called Power Those Who Protect Us. Uh, what this is is a battery donation uh, program that Duracell has put together 
with a goal of donating 10 million batteries to the 23,000 volunteer fire departments throughout the country. Uh, this, this is important to, to us because batteries are uh, you know, a real important part of what we, uh, the equipment we use. Our, our flashlights, obviously, our, our uh, self-contained breathing apparatus uses batteries. Our pass devices, which are devices that signal if someone is incapacitated or, or has gone motionless, uh, those all use batteries. So it's, uh, it's a great way for the community to be able to give back to the people who are protecting the community uh, they simply can buy a specially marked package of Duracell batteries. For every 10-pack uh, uh, they buy, one battery gets donated to the program. For every 20-pack, there are two batteries donated. And they can actually even target uh, the, the impact of their donation uh, by going online to Duracell.com slash protect or for Facebook aficionados, Facebook.com slash Duracell and enter the zip code of their local volunteer fire department, and that will actually enhance the donation that uh, their local firefighters receive. Well, that's great. It looks like a win-win situation for everybody. Um, I, we'll mention that right before we, you know, get off the air. But I also I want to, you know, where they can um, do their, get, you know, uh, donations. But I, I want to just get back to one thing because what about like, do do they have like if you're a volunteer firefighter? Is there a person who is a, a paid person, firefighter, who trains you? I mean, you would, I'm thinking about it. If I were going to go in there and volunteer my services, wouldn't I need to be trained? How do you go into a burning building, all those kinds of things? I mean, don't you need a lot of training? I mean, after 9-11, I think people r- had a real understanding or more of an understanding of what firefighters really do. Well, you're absolutely right. There's a great deal of training involved in it, uh, partially because the role is, is so varied. Uh, you know, people think of fire departments as, as fighting fires, but who do you call when the child is lost and the area has to be searched? It's the fire department. Uh, who do you call when there's a hazardous material spill? The fire department. Uh, who do you call if there's a swift water rescue to be made? The fire department. So I never know whether to call the fire department or the police department. How do you know the difference? Or is the, you know what I mean? For some of those examples, they're good examples. Yeah. Uh, most areas now have 911 dispatch centers, and the 911 dispatcher will, will make the decision as to what resources to dispatch. So the training, you know, the training is, is really significant, and it's much more varied than one would think. But to come to your question about, you know, is it done by paid people, not necessarily. Uh, a lot of the training that we take, uh, some of our people train to be certified instructors and in turn then provide our own instruction for us. So uh, the, the training that we take is not necessarily just response related. It may be related to becoming an instructor to, to uh, educate the rest of us. What do you think the motivation is behind being a volunteer firefighter? You know, we've asked that question uh, countless times across the country and uh, Invariably, the, the most popular, most common response is to give back to the community. I, I think that uh, we all feel a sense of obligation to our community. The community nurtures us, the community cares for us, and it's important that we give back to the community. And there are lots of ways you can do it. You can, you can serve on the church board, you can be on the school board, you can be the Boy Scout leader, you can do all sorts of things. Um, this is one of the ways that people can, can uh, select to give back to their community. Uh, and, and oftentimes it's the busiest people who do it. It's the ones who have so much going on, but it's still at the same time, they seem to be able to find time to volunteer for their community. And as you say, this is one way to do it. What kind of a response do you think, because I'm, I'm trying to personalize this whole thing, being a social worker, but families, I mean, let's say my uh, 
a husband, partner, spouse wants to be a volunteer firefighter, I mean, I might be afraid. I mean, you might find some resistance from families because it's like, oh, it's too dangerous. They don't want you to do it. Um, does, I mean, I'm sure that comes up in this ways of, of more information of handling it. Yes, it, you know, it certainly is a demanding proposition, and there, you're, you're absolutely right. There has to be support from the entire family, not just the volunteer, him or herself, uh, because if there's not support at home, uh, it, it won't be successful. Uh, a couple of things. One, if a person is interested in learning more about uh, the fire service, the volunteer fire service, they can call a number. It's 1-800-FIRELINE, F-I-R-E-L-I-N-E. Don't be fooled by the fact that there's one more letter than there would be a digit. <laughs> Uh, but you can call 1-800-FIRE-LINE for anywhere in the United States, and uh, your call will get routed to your local fire department. The other thing that's important to keep in mind is that uh, you don't have to necessarily put on turnout gear to be of uh, assistance to your volunteer fire department. You know, we are often looking for people that help us with things like fundraising, record-keeping, budget preparation, public education, um, smoke detector campaigns. There are all sorts of things the people whose uh, either uh, uh, time schedule won't allow or they just simply don't have the desire to, to take the training to become a firefighter, there's still lots of things they can do to assist their local volunteer fire department. All right, so you have to figure out in your community what you're best at, at, what you're best at where you can help the most. And it may be on the front lines, as I'm kind of describing it that way, Stuart, but, or it could be, as you say, um, smoke detector information. So there's a lot of different ways in which you can help your volunteer fire department. And, of course, this is a whole new special prog- uh, project, this uh, donation program created by Duracell, uh, in partnership with the NVFC, and uh, you're saying which is also going to help volunteer fire departments immensely. So why don't we get a couple? Well, we have a couple more minutes left. Uh, let's kind of reiterate what you're doing with um, Duracell and uh, give a, uh, give us a couple numbers to call. Also, is there um, an internet website that listeners can go to if they're interested in being volunteer firefighters? Yes, uh, you can learn a great deal about that by going to our National Volunteer Fire Council uh, site, nvfc.org. And uh, there's a great deal of information there about uh, what volunteer firefighters do, what we're uh, engaged in, and, and how, you can, how you can become one. Great. How long have you been doing this, Philip? Uh, I've been in the volunteer fire service since 1972, so I'm not quite sure what that comes out to be, but quite a few. <laughs> 1972. <laughs> You and I are in the same boat, I think. Yeah, that's great. 1972. Well, it's been great talking to you today. You're doing great work. Philip Stittelberg, he is chairman, and rightfully so, since you've been doing it since 1972, chairman of the National Volunteer Fire Council, uh, NVFC for short. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, it's been great having you. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Uh, You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio, The Catherine Zock Show. Don't go away because coming up next is Stuart Diamond, author of Getting More, How to Negotiate to Achieve Your Goals in the Real World. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. It's The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And uh, as I said earlier on in the show, whether you're trying to get a seat on a sold-out plane or you're trying to get your four-year-old to brush his teeth or go to bed or trying to get that partnership locked in for your business, Pulitzer Prize winner Stuart Diamond is here to discuss his new book, Getting More, How to Negotiate to Achieve Your Goals in the Real World and the 12 Invisible Strategies that Change Everything You Thought You Knew About Negotiating. I thought I knew everything about negotiating until I read his book. Stuart Diamond is one of the world's leading experts on negotiation. He's advised many Fortune 500 companies. He's taught at Harvard, Columbia, and, of course, more importantly, Wharton, MBA school at the University of Pennsylvania. I have a son who goes there who said he is like the professor. He is the person, the course to take. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Stuart. Thank you. Nice to be on. Yeah. See, when I knew you were going to be on the show, I had to email. I, you know, texted my son, do you know Stuart Diamond? He went, of course I know. <laughs> um, anyway, very interesting book because you, in the, just in the beginning of the book, you say your entire negotiation course uh, you can kind of sum up in three questions. What are my goals, who are they, and what will it take to persuade them? Right. Okay. Um, I guess my first question is, uh, we have an old way of negotiating, you say, that doesn't work. Our old yes, tactics. and that's the way that most people negotiate. Yeah, so I want to ask you, what are the, what's the old way that we negotiate, and what's the new mo- model that you have? So yes, w- it, what are we doing wrong? It's much more on people, perceptions, and emotions as the way to to reach agreements that 
that power, use of power, tends to cause resentment and retaliation, and, and logic tends to be beside the point, and threats tend to not work. And the 30,000 people I've taught in 45 countries over 20 years and the enormous amounts of research that we've done uh, shows that if you make a personal connection with somebody else, they're six times more likely to do what you want than if you don't. And so really it's about the people first and foremost. And I have a simple example I'd like to give you that happened a couple of weeks ago. I had a former student came up to Philly from Houston uh, in the first of the many snowstorms we had. The plane was four hours late, and the rest of the passengers were snarling at the flight attendants and the gate agent who came on the plane. And this former student of mine realized he needed to make a personal connection to meet his goals. So he went up to the flight attendants and apologized for everybody else's behavior and said, you know, it's a real drag, I'll bet, to work an extra four hours. And when he got off the plane, they gave him $600. <laughs> I want to try that the next time. He was time. the only person on the plane to get that. They gave him a full refund because he had made a connection with them. And so most people do it wrong. They lash back. They think that if somebody is, is mad at them, it's actually about them when it may be the last person they talk to. And so first, I've got to find out the pictures in their head. So the right answer to the statement, I hate you, is tell me more. So when you say you're thinking about the pictures in their head, because this seems to be the mantra throughout the book, you have to know where the person that you're negotiating is coming from. Yes, Who are they? To, what are they about? Ask others. You have to ask them. You have to guess. You have to stop focusing on yourself and find out what they're about, because after all, they're the one you want to persuade. But what do you say to business people, and I still hear it, you know, it's a win-win situation. You have to have one Well, th- th- that's also irrelevant. Uh, the world is an emotional place. People sort of instinctively know that. The more important the negotiation is, the more emotional people are. And that means world peace, a billion-dollar deal, or my kid wants an ice cream cone. It's the same kind of response. When people are emotional, they don't want to know from win-win. They don't want to know from your spreadsheets or logic. They want you to make them feel better. They want an emotional payment, an apology, a concession, empathy, I understand. They want you to, 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 to understand their feelings. Uh, and, and, and if you don't do that, then they're not listening. When people get emotional, they don't listen. And when they're not listening, they're not persuaded. And they're not persuadable. And so most people are simply getting angry at others or, or making their arguments tougher, and they're just falling on deaf ears. Uh, here's another example. So you go to a store, and you try to buy a TV, and they give you a price, and you say, well, it's cheaper on the Internet, and you check the Internet with your cell phone. All you're doing is you're making the salesperson angry by threatening his or her job. And they won't want to do anything for you because they get emotional. What you should do instead is say, you know, I wish it was cheaper here, but I'll tell you what. Let's work on this together and find a way to solve this problem because I really want to shop here. You've made it into a common problem without threatening them. And they'll probably give you an employee discount, a free warranty, free servicing, or find some way to meet your financial needs. And that's the subtle difference between doing it the, the new and the right way and doing it the old way. 
So how did you come up with this particular model? Because as, as you're describing it, I'm thinking, you know, as a social worker, as somebody who has an MSW in social worker, it's, it seems to me it utilizes the same kinds of skills that we have when we are uh, talking to a client or trying to help them to engage or change their behavior. Sure. Well, yeah. my, my brief history on this is I was at the New York Times for some years. Then I went to Harvard Law School and discovered and uh, taking negotiation there that uh, I'd actually been negotiating for years for information and getting people's trust and didn't know it. They had a structure that I that I liked. They tried to put this field into something you could analyze and replicate. I didn't think they went far enough, particularly in emotion and culture, so I went to Wharton and got my MBA there. And then I began to consult internationally and actually study what people did, both in my own deals and other deals, and I tried to figure out, especially in the last 12, 13 years, why things didn't work, why there were still riots and people hit their kids at the airport and, and there were union strikes and so forth. And I, and I took the, the, the hundreds of thousands of pages of journals and experiences by the people I've taught in all these countries, including from 650 CEOs to country leaders to secretaries and analyze what it was that was working and what it was that didn't work. And I found out that using the people connection was four times, added four times more value than the threats, the power, and the logic. So it's not that the hard bargainers don't get deals. They just don't get nearly as much value as doing it this new way. What, Stuart, is the best deal that you've gotten? What's the best, I mean, what would you say was your most my successful best negotiation? My are with my eight-year-old son, Alexander. <laughs> you know, hands down. He is now so negotiable, and, and parents around the world should understand how easy it is to negotiate with kids. And here's an example. Um, I'm always giving Alexander stuff without him asking because I know that kids don't have a lot of power and I want them to have power because it'll make him do stuff for me. So I let him pick the restaurants. His room's a little messy, okay. You know, he's uh, he goes to bed a little late, that's okay. Because he's now always in a debtor situation with me. He always owes me stuff. And so now when I say, Daddy wants you to do this, and he says, I don't want to do it, I say, well, doesn't Daddy do this for you? Doesn't Daddy do that for you? Now, I've said this before, and people have said, well, isn't that manipulating your kid? And so I had a discussion with Alexander. I said, Alexander, am I manipulating you? And after we discussed what manipulation meant, he said, why do you say that, Dad? I get stuff from this. And so he's cool with that. And so I, I find ways to respect him and consult him to do things for me in return. So another example would be that I say, you get Legos on Saturday if you clean your room. So Saturday comes around, his room's not clean. I don't say no Legos until you clean your room. I say there's nothing better I want to do today, Alexander, than buy you Legos. Help me buy you Legos today. And so I've now made it his decision. It gets very subtle difference, but a very important one. Yeah, well, the difference is you're not threatening him. Exactly, and and he he gets that part. I also try to tap into as as I said the pictures in his head. So I come home from work, he's watching TV, and the instinct is to turn the TV off. But I don't do that. I say, okay, um, I've had a bad day at work. I have a drink. Maybe the kid's stressed out from elementary school. I mean, kids have stressful days just like us. So I say, are you stressed out from elementary school? Maybe he's got to chill out to watch the TV. 
even if I'm wrong about this, he respects the question and he's willing to watch less TV and engage in a dialogue with me. But okay, Alexander is your greatest achievement. That's a good. <clears throat> that's a good example or best achievement in terms of negotiation. What would you say would be your most chat? Maybe did you, have you had any? That stood out that wasn't a success. I've had really some terrible over the years, some terrible uh, negotiation mistakes that I've made. And probably the biggest one was 12 or 13 years ago when I was trying to bring uh, three diamond merchants to the Internet who were brothers and, uh, and the diamond uh, industry is pretty informal, at least at that time. And instead of dealing with their fears and the, the new ways of doing things, I pushed them hard to get an initial public offering, a New York accounts, etc. And I didn't pay enough attention to the relationship, and the deal fell apart. And that's really one of the early, uh, 1998, 99, 2000, one of the early, uh, ideas for me that I, I thought about that I, I really needed to focus a lot more on who the people were and their sensibilities. It's so much more important than anything else. In fact, the facts and the substance are less than 10% of the reason people reach agreement. The people in the process are more than 90%. The people in the process, I guess that's the most important thing. Uh, Absolutely. What about the, yeah. Um, what about, like, those really tough, hard bargainers? I mean, you go into a, a negotiation and yeah. the people who try to, like, steamroll you. Right. There's how do you respond to that? There's lovely tools that we have in getting more to deal with hard bargainers. The first one is to disarm them by saying, you know, I really need to meet your needs here, and that's not negotiable. Uh, because if I don't meet your needs, you won't meet mine. And I'm a selfish guy. I want my needs met. And so you, 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 you acknowledge the hard bargainer's needs, and you also acknowledge the hard bargainer's power. I mean, the, the first thing I want to do when a cop stops me is to apologize. And so I want to acknowledge their needs. I want to, f- I also, good negotiators have a firm grasp of the obvious. And so I want to say, we're not getting along. Or you're, you know, sort of trying to beat me up here. I'm wondering why you're doing that. Are, are you think that you'll get more, or, or what do you think? I want to engage in a conversation with them about why they're doing it. Maybe they're being hard bars because they're afraid and they don't know how to do it any better. If they truly will not participate, then I want to do one of two things. I want to invoke a better future if they don't act this way. That I think there's more in the deal and uh, and here's how, and would you like more or less? And second, I want to use standards or norms of behavior, uh, such as, you know, what are you screaming at me for? I wouldn't scream at you. I respect you. Uh, is this the, is this the way your uh, you, you, your company says they treat customers? And it's very hard for hard bargainers to withstand those questions, especially if they violate norms. So the best practitioner of this in the last hundred years was Mahatma Gandhi and also Martin Luther King, where Gandhi took away the jewel and the crown from the British Empire in India by simply pointing out British behavior without making himself the issue. And so did Martin Luther King. You can't make yourself the issue, but by pointing out the things other people do that are untoward, uh, uh, outrageous, uh, they drive themselves off a cliff. Yeah. Well, Stuart, you make it sound very easy, and uh, as most experts do. And But as I'm listening to you, I mean, it sounds like one has to be really skilled to be able to do this the way you do it, and spontaneously. Oh, my, first, gonna, we're going to take a break right now. We've got to take like a, a couple students. minutes break. But one of the things, 
when we come back is I want to talk to you about is how do you, uh, your course and how do you get this across to your students and are there any students out there who just simply won't be able to do this because of the nature of their own personalities. I'm sure. Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to me and Stuart Diamond author of Getting More, How to Negotiate to Achieve Your Goals in the Real World. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And joining me this morning, Stuart Diamond, one of the world's leading experts on negotiation and a professor at the Wharton School at MBA Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, Pulitzer Prize winner and author of Getting More, How to Negotiate to Achieve Your Goals in the Real World. And Stuart, I want to know, because you are a professor at the Wharton at the MBA School, Wharton School at UPenn, what about your students? Um, you have to negotiate with them, I'm sure, on a daily basis, yes, and, and they're tough. They've got a really tough but, but the, the book contains 400 anecdotes of individuals who did this stuff beginning from day one. And so this is meant to be accessible to anybody in any situation. The first assignment I give my students is go to a place where people don't give discounts and get a discount. And keep doing this until you get one. And people soon find out that the best way to get a discount is actually ask for one. Uh, I had a woman the other week who asked for a discount on her health care bill and got 50% off, that you actually have to decide to negotiate. And then there are a whole bunch of other tools that you can use in a variety of situations, of course, like uh, dealing with your boss and getting a raise, getting a job, and so forth. This is not rocket science. What it is is invisible unless you know how to do it. 
I have a lot. That first example you gave is a good one for me because asking for a discount goes against somehow. I feel like I shouldn't be asking for a discount. Very difficult. Yes. So, but the thing is, you've got to think of it a different way. When you ask somebody for a discount in the store and they give you one, they're happy because you are now a more loyal customer. The question is, who benefits more, you or the store? So you've got to think about this differently. When you give somebody you love a present, who benefits more? So really, again, thinking about human interactions in a different way is a very valuable thing to do. Are there, people, are there individuals, maybe even some of your students who you can see, who they're not going to be good? Uh, are we all capable of being good negotiators, or are there that, just some of us who are not able way. to do it? We're all capable of being better. And some will be better than others. Some will be better than others, but it doesn't matter. The name of my book is Getting More, Not Getting Everything. There's a, you know, there's a lot, there's a trend going on, and I, I read it in some of the guests I've had on the show. Um, they talk about the fact that women are better negotiators traditionally just because they've had to negotiate maybe with their children and families. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting you say that. I've actually got data. 30% of the people in my courses I grade are women. They get 50% of the highest grades. There's two reasons for that. One is women listen more than men. They collect more information. And two, we live in a male-dominated world, and when you have less power, you learn to be more clever. Women try a lot harder than men in my courses to get higher grades and to learn these tools, and they end up getting things they normally don't get because they often start off not being as focused as much on being persistent and meeting their goals. But my best negotiating students are women. Yeah, and I'm not surprised. Um, so then that, that is true. Women are better negotiators. And uh, is that why we have our Secretary of States or women? Well, I'm not sure you can, you can specify to Hillary Clinton, but I think what you can say is, in general, women are better negotiators than men. But this is very situational. You really have to look at the person and the situation. So while there might be... Uh, a, a trend for women to be better than men. For each individual situation, you still have to look at the people who are applying. Are sometimes men are better than women, and sometimes women are better than men. But what, what I do find for my women students is the tools in getting more are extraordinarily empowering to women in particular who can't seem to get what they want because it gives them a structure to use with increasing confidence every day. Now, my mother's generation, those women who felt powerless, uh, she's listening, she'll be mad at me because I'm saying this, but uh, <laughs> it was, they tended to be manipulative and were taught how to manipulate their spouses or their... Yes, well, well instead of doing that, I, I teach people, particularly women, to essentially be straight with men about what's going on. Okay, what's actually going on here, and are you doing things that are exactly the right way? For example, uh, I teach people to trade things around the house. So, for example, if I want something, I want to, uh, I want to give something. So we can trade. Here's here's a really good example of this. You know, my wife loves to garden, and she loves to garden with me, uh, and I hate to garden, and especially with my wife, because I think she's too bossy to me. She hasn't done her way, but she's figured out that her husband, me, will garden any time she wants me to do it during the year in return for three uninterrupted hours in front of the television set any time a professional football game happens to be on. 
And so we, we found things to trade. And the more you learn how to trade things with people, uh, then the less manipulative you are and the more everybody gets something. So there are d- people place different values, and then you talk about this in the book. That's right. I value TV more than I value gardening, and she values gardening more than she values TV. Uh, you can use this all over the place. I, and again, what, what Getting More does is it, it says you should look at everybody's synapses, all of their life experiences to trade. The CEO of a major company in Philadelphia once told me the most important thing he ever did for his best client in a 20-year business relationship was to pick up the client CEO's mother-in-law at the Philadelphia airport one Saturday night. Nothing to do with any deal, but it affects every deal. I had somebody from a tech company who couldn't get a client and found out that the client's daughter needed computer help, so the guy invested half a day, went over to the customer's house, tutored the daughter, fixed the computer, and got a multi-million dollar deal. That's what I mean about trading items of unequal value. It's, well, it's, I want to add a piece to that, because today in the, you know, Thomas Friedman, the world is flat, and you're negotiating, doing business in lots of different cultures, cross-culturally, uh, how does that work? Because, you know, trying to figure out what... Oh, yeah, what, well, that, that's easy. You just do the research and ask them. And one of the more amusing stories in my book is I did a big financial deal in Ukraine. And in Ukraine, the rule was for negotiation, one bottle of vodka per person per negotiating session. And I don't drink, I don't drink. And this is not the kind of vodka that you buy in the U.S. It's the kind you use for lighter fluid. And so I don't drink, I don't drink vodka, and I don't drink lighter fluid substitutes. So forgive the stereotype, but it's as true. I got with me a 350-pound Irish investment banker who proceeded, and I told the Ukrainians that he was my designated drinker. And they drank more vodka than I'd ever seen consumed in my life, and we did the deal. I didn't have to change. I, I figured out their cultural values, and we were all set. So you figured out their cultural values. So one needs to do their homework. I mean, you really need to know, and I guess this comes across, obviously, talking to you, but reading the book as well, you really have to know your customer. I mean, that really... You have to know who the other party is, whether it's your, 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 your kid or your enemy, right? So, so, so you, you, the, the more they're your enemy, the better you want to know them. Didn't you do some work on The Sopranos? I did. Okay. Oh, that wonderful mafia expression, whether it exists or not, uh, holds your friends closer and your enemies closer. It's very good advice. It is good advice. And, and as a mother, I'm going to give you another piece. I'm going to give a piece of advice. You know, you talk about you have one son. I have three sons, and each one of them I need it, are very, very different, and they negotiate. They have different personality, different needs, come from different places. And as a mother, in order to negotiate with each one of them, I needed to take that into consideration. They're unique. Absolutely. Each person in each situation is different. And so, again, what I want to do is I want to find out what's going on with them and then negotiate from there. If somebody says to me, in a business deal, what's your proposal? I will say, I have no idea what's in the deal. What are your needs? First, you talk about what their needs are, and then you talk about what agreement that you want to make. And you and you treat each person separately as an individual and as somebody who can work with you to make the pie larger. We have a couple minutes left, so I want to ask you one last question. Like this, your book is for 
for what? For CEOs? For moms? It is for everybody it's who for talks everybody. to anybody else. Negotiation affects every human interaction, which is why we have chapters on emotion, relationships, the Middle East, um, uh, travel, discounts. You know, it, it's really a process that affects every action. It, it, negotiation is to social life as mathematics is to science. It's the basic building block that supports all of social interaction. And Wouldn't to get you say- much better at your interactions with others, you need to understand the building blocks better. Now, what I found, and I wrote about it getting more, is that the basic instructions we've been given since we were kids are wrong. And that focusing on other people and their perceptions is much more important than leverage and and logic and power and all those sorts of things. And it, and you don't have to do it all at once. You can do it very incrementally. You can try something, see what happens, try something else. And 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 virtually everybody that I've taught have seen has seen significant improvement in what they get from life. I would say, and this is, we're going to end on this one because we're out of time, but, I mean, life is, is really simply a series of negotiations. Yes. And I would think that how well we're able to do them, and we have to read your book to do it well, determines the quality of our lives. I mean, that's, I mean, I think in certain ways that's what it's all about. And go to gettingmore.com for more information about the book, about Stuart Diamond. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. It was really, it was fun talking to you. Thank you. Likewise. Great. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, Hope you had a great morning. Uh, Have a good week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.